0: I gave you a gift this morning, right? You thought it was communion, didn't you? Right? No. It's three musketeers. What's the saying for three musketeers? What are the three? You remember three musketeers? You ever see the movie or whatever? What was their little motto? All for one, one for all. That's right. So I gave you a candy today to remind you of this motto. The reason I wanted to remind you of the motto is because this is what we're going to be talking about starting today and really getting into the passages of it and the uh, details of it following Labor Day weekend. So (coughs) we're going to be studying what it means to be one. What it means to be one together. What does the word one mean to us in Scripture? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 for... A period of time looking at just a a few number of verses, but we're going to be using that as a launching pad and then showing you throughout Scripture how God speaks to us about our oneness together as a body of Christ and what that means for us spiritually as the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as well. So that is your reminder. I'm not giving you candy again next week or the week after just to keep you coming back. All right? You good? Is, Is one piece enough? It's hard enough with the kids around here. If I put it out, I was going to put it out on the seats and stuff and have it all sitting for you here, but I figured that Matthew would come through and have picked up every single bit of it by the time we got in here for worship, so I decided to give it out to you at the door. If you didn't get it, you go see Bobby. Bobby's got more for you, all right? So, this morning we're going to use as a launching pad what is really uh, the Lord's Prayer for us. So, we, we have in Matthew chapter six, uh, 6 the Lord's Prayer, and what we call the Lord's Prayer is an example of how we're supposed to pray to the Lord. But this is truly Jesus' prayer for us to the Father. So this is what he's saying in John chapter 17. I'm going to give you verse 1, and then we're going to spend most of the time down in verses uh, 20, starting at 21, all right? Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. That's something I really want you to see, and before we even dig into this, I want you to understand this. Jesus did nothing of himself. Did you get that? Let me repeat that to you. Jesus did nothing of himself. Everything that he did, even the acts that he performed, whether they be miracles or the or the things that he did while he was alive in ministry, it was all done for the Father and given to him through those prayer sessions that he used to remove himself from all of the disciples and go up on the mountain, and God would speak to him. We got a picture of that with the, the guys going up on the mount of of Transfiguration, when they were there when the Lord actually spoke to Jesus and got to see all of that. So this is what was taking place, okay? So Jesus was doing what God wanted him to do here. He followed God's will, plan for his life. So for us to be one with God, guess what? We cannot be doing our own thing. That is not being one with God. So the first thing you need to catch right there is that Jesus was doing the will of the Father. All right, and then in verse 21, it says this, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. All right, before I break into any more of this, catch this, Christ's prayer for us is that we would be one. We would be one together with him and the Father, just like he says that he and the Father are one. So there needs to be a connectivity about our lives. We cannot say that we're a part of the body of Christ and live independently. So you and I will always, as brothers and sisters in Christ, be joined together. And look, that's what we're referred to. So think about this: on this side, we're husband and wife. On that side, we're brother and sister. On this side, we're mom and dad and kids and children and all of these things. On that side, we're what? Brother and sister. So we're all part of one family. It is the family of God. And we, though we have individual lives, we're not to be lived. They're not to be lived independently. So, there's a connectivity that we must realize that comes from this passage. So, scripture says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the 10,000 foot view today and next week. And then after that, we're going to dig into these individually and look at each aspect. But the 10,000 foot view says this Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. One is not a place. It is a journey. We never, ever, ever arrive. Scripture calls us all kinds of names. <laughs> so do people out in the world, right? <laughs> all right. But it, Scripture says that we're a sojourner. Scripture can call us, well, you can interpret that word to be a pilgrim. Pilgrim's Progress. Did you have to read that when you were growing up? It was a book that was out there for us to be. We're on a journey. This is Paul says this. We this is not my home. We try to make this world our home. We try to get comfortable in it. We try to have all of our surroundings fit us so that we are made to feel like that we're the center. We're not the center. We're not the center of of our world, nor are we the center of the things that goes on around us. We should not be. The center should be the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives and the relationship that we have with God the Father. One is not a place. You and I are on a journey. We are neither ahead nor behind. We need to be looking ahead and not behind. So we're on the pace that God has put us on. We're on the plan that God has put us on. So I'll go up here before church right here. And um, if you look on the calendar in September, there's a wonderful day that happens a few weeks from now. It's, it's called the, bless, the Day of Blessing. The Lord opened up in heaven and sent Tim down to earth. All right? It is my birthday. My birthday will happen in September. So I'm over here talking to Miss Lenora. I'm about to turn 52, and she goes, You're just a child. You're a baby. You're a kid. And I'm like, that's a matter of perspective right now. You know what I'm saying? My kids don't think I'm a kid. (laughs) By the things that I do and the things that I say, they go, man, you are so old. What happened to you? You know, where'd your hair go? I've seen pictures of you when you were younger. I know what that looked like. You know, it's a matter of perspective, is it not? So sometimes we get caught up in that perception and we think we're ahead or behind. We're neither. We're where God wants us to be right now, and he's got our days numbered. He has this planned out. He's got this, and we need to understand that he has got this. It's not for us to try to speed things up. It's not for us to try to slow things down. It's for us to stay out of God's way. So we are neither ahead nor behind. Psalm 23 says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you think of rod and staff, what do you think of? (laughs) I'm getting beat, right? And you know what I'm saying? Some of you are going, I saw a lot of rod and staffs. (laughs) I was the only kid I ever knew that my mom and dad gave my neighbor's permission to spank me. All right? I used to spend the, you know, the day, I'd get off the school bus and stuff like that and go over to my neighbors. And when I'd get in trouble with my neighbors, they would tell me to go out the back of the yard and pull a switch. Did you ever have to pull your own switch? That is, that is just ridiculous, isn't it? You're going out there and going, maybe what is the smallest branch on this tree right here? How can I avoid this? Go pull your own switch. And then I'd go home and guess what? I got it again. Did you ever do that? You know, do you mean my neighbors have to spank you? How bad were you? You're going to get one when I get you home, too. And I'm like, how many times? Let the beatings begin. I learned. It's a discipline. Rod and the staff, they comfort me. God is disciplining us. He is keeping us in bounds is trying to show us. Now, you think about this. When you think of a shepherd, he had the rod and he had the staff. that was to keep the sheep on the path. That's the whole job of this. We're not ahead. We're not behind. How do sheep travel? They travel in hundreds. And they, if you get them on a path, what do they do? One right after the other. One right after the other. There's an order to it. God has ordered to what He has planned for us. He has got this. We need to hold on to that. All right. The second thing that I need you to see is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. So, not only are we to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, but we're to do it a certain way. Okay. One is not a position, it is an attitude. When you see one in this world, it's usually held up like this, is it not? Woohoo! Florida people think they're number one today, don't they? Get used to it, Vic. This is the only win you're getting all year. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. So Florida played Miami last night and they won. So we're number one. We're number one. Wait till <laughs> wait till Halloween and Georgia's come by and then we'll stop, we'll talk to you. Okay, I'm just playing. All right, so we all think we're number one. We see number one, we think of it as a position. We all want to be, they have races on Sunday afternoon. Y'all ever watch those, right? Tamara gets on to me for watching the races. She goes, all they're doing is turning left. All they're doing is turning left. It's the same thing over and over and over again. What's the deal with this? It's racing. It's a race to see who's going to finish what? First. First. They're doing it for a position. They're playing golf today over at Eastlake Country Club, and they're playing for a lot of money, but somebody's trying to finish what? First. They're trying to win that thing. So what are we always trying to do? We're always trying to win, aren't we? Losing is a part of life. and I, I could tell you stories. In fact, I've told you all stories. We won't go into my losing stories, all right? But there's been, there's been a lot of loss. You have to learn from your losses so that you can, what, move forward. Losses are not meant to end things. Losses are for teaching. they are moments where we learn what's going on. So we need to have an attitudinal transformation in our lives. So to truly be what God, what is Christ's prayer for us, that we be like him? I want you to think about this tomorrow morning when you get up to go to work is my attitude like that of christ jesus because a lot of us are getting up man i do not want to go to work today i'm sure jesus got up and said man i do not want to save anybody's life today i do not want to perform a miracle who is going to get these people away from me there are people he didn't do any of that we wake up though and we got an attitude Teenagers have what? Attitudes, right? They're going through hormonal changes in their lives, and it causes what? Them to wake up. You can just wake up and see your kid's in a bad mood, and you're going, oh, man, this is going to be a rough day. (laughs) Or how about this? You wake up and your spouse is in a bad mood, and you're going, oh, Lord. Or you get to work and your boss is in a bad mood. Oh, it's going to be a crazy day. Look, our job is to go through those things and be a light in the world. How are we supposed to do this? Scripture says we're to do this with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. There's a word that's used for tolerance, and we we use the word tolerance a lot today. But the scriptural word that's used more so for this word is forbearance. Does anybody know what it means to forbear? It means, yeah, to carry something for somebody else. So when we tolerate something, what happens is, right, somebody else has got a bad attitude or something like this, what do they usually do? They come in and dump that on you, or it's transferred to you by the words that they say or the actions that they do. Our job is to forbear that to carry that burden instead of going man I ain't going nowhere near them today we should be going hey I need to show some love I need to shed some light I need to be positive to offset their negative I need to give because they're in a taking mood or I need to allow them to have this moment here and then take on what they're giving me even though it's on top of what we're carrying that day, right? So this is the attitude that we're to have. So one is not a position. One is not a place. Matthew 19.30, Matthew 20.16, Mark 9.35, 10.31, and then Luke 13.30 says the same thing over and over and over. In the Gospels, it says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. How many of us go into the day thinking, man, I hope I finish last today? How many of us go to work and go, man, I I hope that today I'm treated worse than anybody else in this room? We don't do any of that. But when these things happen to us, we need to respond. We don't need to always try to be the winner. That's a tough thing because society loves the winner. Nobody ever remembers who finished second, right? Because second is first what? First loser. So second is a first loser. So we automatically categorize things that way. But guess what? Christ says that those who are the losers, those who are first last or last last, will be winners. (laughs) I'll tell you a story. I used to hate. I used to hate recess. Let me tell you why I hated recess. It was because we used to play tag at recess. I was overweight. So the moment that my hand came off the wall, I got tagged. So you you know what I did for an entire school year? I ran and chased everybody for the entirety of recess because they would just sit there like this right here. You got to take your hand off the wall, Tim, boop, and then they'd start running, and I couldn't catch them. But guess what? Over the course of the school year, I lost weight (laughs) because I spent my recess running the entirety of my recess, I spent just running around. By the end of the school year, man, I was stealthy. And they'd touch me, and I would touch them back. I'd go, whoo. I developed reflexes. I developed skills. I learned. And a transformation happened in my life. This is what we need to understand. We could've, I could have said, you know what? I'm done playing tag. I'm going to go sit over here with the girls and play, you know, whatever they're playing. They weren't playing tag back then. They probably are now, but they weren't then. So I could have done that and just quit and give up. But that's not what God wants us to do, is it, at all? God wants us to be engaged in this, and he wants to understand where we are, and he wants us to learn from it. And he wants us to have the proper attitude towards it. But we can get mad. We can get upset. We can pull ourselves out because we, we don't see our place in it. We don't see what God's trying to show us. And we can have a bad and develop a bad attitude because we're not all winners. But God says that the last shall be first. We need to understand God is at work with us We're in process. This is a journey. Our job is to keep going. We're in this together. We are not done. He is not finished. Scripture says this in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk in humility with your God? That's your job. That's my job every day. What's our job when we get up? Our job is this, to do, the, to do justice. What, is to, what does that mean? It means to do the right thing. When others are doing the wrong thing, our job is to do the right thing, to love kindness. <clears throat> this Hebrew word kindness is given to us also in, in Scripture as loving kindness. It's also interpreted as mercy. Do you show mercy to others? You've been shown mercy. Mercy is not receiving that which you deserve. What do you really deserve? Do you know what you're like? I know what I'm like. And though some people use the term sometimes when referring to me or maybe even you, Tim's a good person. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's rotten to the core, apart from Christ Jesus. Do you watch TV and say, man, those people are just evil? Guess what? Apart from Christ Jesus, that is in me. So we need to be working on our attitude. We need to be working on the things that God calls for us to do. We need to be doing the right thing. We need to be loving kindness and loving mercy towards others. And then the last thing it says is to walk in humility with your God. Humility is a great equalizer. Pride is a great separator. Now I want you to think about something for just a second. Think about how our president responds to other people. Does he respond as a public servant? No. Does He he responds like, I'm the president of the United States. I'm the numero uno person in this entire nation. And he doesn't have a problem telling you that, does he? At all. That is not humility. That is pride. And when pride is shown... What is it that people respond, don't they? They respond in a certain way. Now think about this to the opposite of that. How do people respond in humility? Sometimes you get run over like a truck, and they back up, beep, 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 and run you over again. Because they think you're weak. But humility does not mean that to the Lord. Humility is our job. What do you do if somebody comes and sits in your seat at church? <laughs> do you say, hey, dude, that's my seat. Scoot over. Or do you just go sit somewhere else? Is this place yours? Because it's not mine. We don't own it. So when we come in here, we don't, we don't need to act like we do. We need to show humility. Show humility towards each other that keeps us in the proper place and also keeps us in the proper position. Are you getting what we're, we're throwing out here? We're never to be numero uno. We're never to be in first place. We're always supposed to be thinking about others and how that might affect them. Rick Warren says this. If God's objective for every believer is to to transform us into total Christ-likeness, then the objective of preaching is to motivate people to develop Christ-like convictions, to think like Jesus, Christ-like character, to feel like Jesus, Christ-like conduct, to act like Jesus. Every other objective of preaching is secondary. So our job here, my job here, is to try to get you to be like Christ. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Do all preachers act like Christ? No. They do not. And if you go home with me this afternoon or spend the week with me, there'll be moments this week when I probably won't act like Christ either. I hate putting up ceiling fans. It brings out the most ungodly character in me whatsoever. Ceiling fans have like 10,000 little screws. Your arms are above your head. How are you supposed to make that screw and a drill go above and go into this little blade thing that's going around? And then they don't give you any space in there to put that blade in there. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like with my screw gun and I'm up there. What happens invariably? The screw falls off. I'm going... So I pick up like a handful of screws and I stick it on there. And just like one right after another, I've gone through like 20 screws and I've not gotten one screwed in. I thought Mallory was going to walk out of the room. She, She was like, I was like, just hand me a fan blade. Okay, Dad, I will. I promise. I'll be good. I hate ceiling fans. In the last two weeks, I put up four of them. And my kids are like, you are not a preacher. (laughs) I will never listen to another word you say again. There are things in our lives that bring out ungodly character in us. I don't know what it is for you, but please don't call me and say, Pastor Tim, i got a ceiling fan to be put up. Can you come over to my house? You're a true servant, aren't you? And your job to serve the flock. Come on, Brother Tim, come over to my house and help me put up this ceiling fan. I'm going to call Vic. Because Vic's got the patience to do it. There's something in all of us. We're going to encounter this in our lives, and it's going to try to bring out the worst in us. But God is calling for us to live our lives in such a way that those around us might see good. That means our attitude each and every day. One is not a place, one is not a position. Verse 3 says this in Ephesians chapter 4, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Oh my gosh, this is so unbaptist. We don't care about preserving the unity and we're sure not doing it peacefully, are we? If I was to, t- to stop right now and ask all the ways that you've heard about a Baptist church that has split you could probably tell me the stories about the color of the carpet or you know moving the furniture, I, I want to tell you this, I'm so pleased with you guys, we transformed our, our stage last week and I didn't get one nasty little note no one said anything bad, and y'all all had plenty of opportunity plenty of opportunity We even ate lunch together, and you could have pulled me aside and said, Brother Tim, that needs to come down right now. I didn't get any of that. But I'm telling you, there are churches where this happened, and they would be split this morning. And people would leave. We cannot do this. We must preserve the unity and do it in the bond of peace with each other. The last thing. One is being a part, interconnected. We are an individual, but we are a part of the whole. Andy Stanley says this: "The way to kill an appetite is to not feed it. So if you know that there is something that causes you problems, then don't feed it. Don't feed into it. What makes you mad? Stay away from it. What causes you stress and distress in your life? Don't do it. What adds anxiety to you? Don't do it. Avoid it. This is what this is saying to us. So, if you're like me and thoughts come in your mind and you just go, I got to say this. It has to come out. I thought about it, you know, Hold your tongue. That's right. Yeah. You know? But but we have trouble with this. We're a part of this. We're interconnected. Feelings matter. If you don't think feelings matter, take a hammer and hit the end of your finger. Just slam it. It won't cause any problems to the rest of your body, will it? It won't throb to such an extent that you're going, I think every drop of blood that I have in my body is at the end of my finger right now. None of this will happen. It's just the tip of your finger. But there's feelings in it that cover the entirety of your body. And we have to realize this. So I'm just going to go say this to one person. I'm just going to go give them one person, a piece of my mind. That affects the whole body. Our job is to preserve the unity in the bond of peace. 1 Corinthians twelve seven says this, But to each one is given a manifestation of a spirit for the common good. well, nobody else sees what's going on here, but I see what's going on, and I just need to go tell somebody about what's going on. Because the Lord has given me insight that nobody else has. So let me go tell it like it is. For the common good. How many of you have ever thought, I just need to go tell them this so I can get it off my chest. Because it will make me feel better. If I just say these things or if I just do this, it makes me feel better. We have to learn to work within the system of the body of Christ. And we have to learn that we are interconnected to each other. And you've been given a talent and gift by God for the common good. Not for your good, but for the common good. Hebrews ten, twenty-three through 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And <clears throat> church planning, when we went to church planning school, or basic training is what they called us, they told us that we needed... To, is it okay if I lean right here for a second? Is that going to offend anybody? Um, they told us to look for what's called a person of peace. Persons of peace... Are people who attract other people. Do you catch that and how that works with Ephesians chapter 4? Looking for those who will hold together the bond of unity, I mean, uh, hold together the unity of the body in the bond of peace. So when you try to, when you find someone who's a person of peace, I want to tell you somebody. I'm going to call somebody out right now. Alright? Al's a person of peace. Other people like to be around Al. Al. I can't tell you how many jobs y'all put Al up for in the last few weeks. Ed's out of town today for Sunday school. Who did he call on to teach his class? Al. Al's a person of peace. Other people like to be around him. His kids like to be around him. That's great in itself, is it not? He's a person of peace like that. They attract other people around them. Are we like that? Are we persons of peace? That's what God's calling us all to right here. This is what it says. But nah, we come to church, somebody makes us mad, we go home and sit home, I can watch Charles Stanley on TV, and he's better than Tim anyway. He don't preach as long, none of that stuff. I'll take care of this, I'll show them down there, And then we pull ourselves out of the body of Christ. And this scripture right here says, Don't forsake the assembling together as some would have the want to do, but encourage one another in Christ Jesus. Our job is to become a person of peace. And I don't care what your personality is like. You may not be the most extroverted person in the world. You may be introverted, but you can find some way to become a person of peace. I don't know what that bond is, the thing, the way that you connect to other people. Some of you cook. Some of you do things. Bobby goes over to people's houses and fixes stuff and cuts grass and does all kinds of stuff. Bobby, how old are you? 77. And he's still going over to other people's houses and cutting their grass. Guess what I'm doing at 77? I probably ain't going to be here. But if I am here, somebody else is cutting my grass, you know what I'm saying? I'm paying somebody to come over and cut my grass. Bobby gets up on the, the one day off that he has and goes over and cuts somebody else's grass. That's what I'm talking about. Your bond of peace may not be verbal. The way you help keep the body together may be something else. Marsha prays for everybody. Marsha goes and carries everybody everywhere. She needs to be Uber. Start making a money this way. She does it. She goes, picks people up, carries them to their doctor's appointment. Who wants to do that? I'm going to go pick you up. I'm going to carry you to the doctor, and I'm going to go sit in the office while you go to the doctor. Just, you know, I mean, you're just in this for me now nobody wants to think about doing stuff like that right so this is the way we preserve the bond of peace this is the way that we help unify the body this is the way we encourage one another this is the way that we build each other up whatever it is for you find that why because you have been gifted by god And he has poured into you. He has a plan for you. He has put you here. Humbly walk before him. Figure it out. Because it's all for one. All for one. And if we have that mentality and that thought process, we will maintain unity. That will be transformative. I want to tell you something. If your body and our body is unified, other people will be attracted to that. People run from division. That's why it's so hard to maintain momentum in a church. People start growing, but guess what? New people start coming in, and as new people start coming in, everybody doesn't know them as well. All of a sudden, something happens, and like 25 people leave all of a sudden, and you're going like, where did they all go? I heard. We have to do all that we can to preserve the bond of peace, the body together. That means we have to work doubly hard. We have to be on our P's and Q's. We have to constantly be thinking how this affects the church, how it affects those around me. And if we think like that, we will walk in humility. And we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord to prayer. Father, I just want to thank you this day for your word. I want to thank you for what you tell us and teach us in Scripture. And Father, as we break this down and go through these piece by piece by piece and see what it truly means to be one together in the body of Christ and what that means for our character and for our conduct and what that means for us as Individuals, but what it means for us collectively. Father, I pray that you will teach us and give us guidance and direction. Father, I pray that you will also pierce us to the very core and help us to see the things in our lives that we need to rid ourselves of. Where the bad attitudes lie. Where malice lies. Or envy. Or jealousy. Help us to rid ourselves of all those things. Help us not to worry about credit. Help us not to worry about whether even someone says thank you or not. Help us just to do that which we've been called to do. May your grace abound. And thank you so much for your mercy. These things we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.